You're listening to Call of the Herald, book one of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Katrin desperately hoped the tribesmen would have enough patience to let them finish and as the last of the sandstone layer was cleared from a small area, she saw the bedrock. Running her senses over it, looking for the thinnest point, she found a likely spot, but it was close to the edge of their hole. Clear that area, please, she said, and they quickly removed the sandstone. I need to finish this, she said. Benjen helped her into the hole and handed Nat's staff down to her. With a deep breath, she gathered all the energy she could pull from the night air. The moon was bright above the mountains, but she felt little energy from it. She mustered what she could and drove the staff into the bedrock with all her strength. The staff struck stone and rang a sharp discord through the valley. Sparks flew and a few small chips broke away, but her blow had done little damage. Her next blow struck with such force that she felt the staff flex in her grasp, and she feared it might snap in two. She paused to catch her breath and looked up at the concern in her guardian's faces. The crushing weight of responsibility threatened to smother her, and she could almost feel the walls of the hole closing in around her. Struggling to stay calm, she reached into the rock looking for any imperfection, any flaw she could exploit. Close to the surface, she found an almost imperceptible hairline crack, and her hopes soared. She concentrated on the crack and focused on her target point. She hefted the staff and struck the bedrock hard, large chunks of stone shattering among the sparks. There was a long way to go, but she had made some progress. You'd best hurry, Katrin, Benjen said. The tribes are growing hostile. As she leaned down to look closely at the rock, her fish carving fell from her shirt and hung just below her face. She pulled the leather thong over her head and held the carved fish in one of her palms, wondering if she could draw energy from it. She remembered how the carving had grown hot enough to burn her leg when she slammed the ground with power, and she wondered if she hadn't been drawing from it then. The carving had appeared to recharge itself when kept in the light, and her gut said she had just stumbled onto its secret. Grasping the staff in both hands, she held it aloft, the carving wedged between the staff and her palm. She centered herself as the carving grew warm and she felt energy begin to flow into her. Her senses heightened as the power coursed through her veins, and as it entered her, she sensed it leaving the carving. Knowing she had no time to waste, she used all her strength and all her emotion to drive the staff into the bedrock. Striking it with such force that the blow sent shockwaves echoing through the valley. The bedrock gave way as she reached the bottom of her massive swing, and she fell forward for an instant 
as a large section collapsed downward. Almost instantly, the force of the trapped water sent the broken rocks soaring into the air. Katrin fell back as the staff was ripped from her grasp by a huge column of water which shot high into the night sky. Katrin scrambled backward out of the hole, the powerful spray buffeting her as she clawed her way to safety. She retreated from the water's fury, and the Argast backed away before her in fear and reverence. Vertuk stared at the fountain, dumbstruck. Chaos ensued as the enormous shockwave sent loose rocks and stone tumbling down into the valley. Several people were struck, the horses panicked, and men scrambled to reach them to prevent the frightened animals from injuring themselves. They all stared at the towering fountain with amazement and disbelief. When the height of the fountain did not dwindle, they slowly began to believe that they were in the presence of the herald. Katrin watched as the water fell from the sky and seeped into the sand. The sand became saturated, and soon water would fill this end of the valley. Benjen, Chase, Osborne, and Strom moved to her side, overjoyed. They speculated on how long the fountain would last. Katrin was physically drained, mentally exhausted, and wanted nothing more than sleep. The carved fish, still in the palm of her hand, looked terrible. It was chalky to the touch, and its surface was again dull. She leaned over and placed it back around her neck. When she looked up, she found herself surrounded by kneeling tribal leaders and tribesmen. Even her guardians knelt. Vertuk was in the front and center of the mass, and she realized that he alone belonged to all three groups. Nat retrieved his staff from the sand. Then he stood before Katrin, facing those assembled. Behold the herald of Istra. She calls you to your duty. Will the tribes of Argast answer her call? Katrin was startled by the ululating cry that rose from the throats of the Argast and was overwhelmed when she saw that the horses, too, had gone to their knees. And her mentor and strength, Benjen, was prostrate on the ground. Her power and accomplishment would have exhilarated her at any other time, but the day's events had been exhausting and she was lightheaded. Her vision fading, she grew dizzy and fell to the sand. Standing before the fountain, where before had been nothing more than sand and rock, Vertuk was in awe. No power could have been more moving to him than to bring water to the desert. No feat more seemingly unachievable. All his life he had waited for this moment, waited for some event to prove his life had meaning. Now that he had witnessed that event, he realized his entire life had been wasted, wandering from one dried-up hole to another. For him, nothing would ever be the same. The things that had meant the most to him in life, besides his wife and horse, suddenly were meaningless. All that mattered now was to serve Katrin, 
to protect her so that she might bring water to all the world. He made in a moment a decision that should have been agonizing, yet it was surprisingly simple. Harat, he said without taking his gaze from the water. Only a moment later, he felt Harat by his side, sensed the calm determination and sense of honor that had always marked him as a leader. Without saying a word, Vertuk untied the sash that looped over his left shoulder, passing directly over his heart. He'd taken reassurance from it many times, knowing that the sash of the leader would protect his valiant yet frail heart. He no longer needed it, but even more, he could no longer uphold the responsibilities that came along with the sash. Remaining silent, he handed the sash to Herat, who hesitated to take it. Vertuk thrust the sash into Herat's hand, his final command as tribal leader. Herat took a step back, placed his hand over his heart, and when he bowed down, tears fell from his eyes. As Herat walked away, Vertuk pulled his gaze from the fountain long enough to watch the man who would now protect and guide those he loved. Tears fell from his own cheeks as he released the responsibility he had worked so hard to obtain. Herat placed the sash underneath his garment, as of yet unwilling to reveal Vertuk's wishes. He walked quietly through the crowd as if nothing out of the ordinary had occurred, and Vertuk breathed a mighty sigh of relief. He had chosen well. Not far from where Vertuk stood, Chase, Strom, and Osborne gathered. When she said to dig, I wasn't expecting. I mean, Strom began, but he just trailed off and shrugged. I know, Chase said. I can't believe it either. How did she know? Osborne asked, looking at the fountain. How does she do these things? I don't know, Chase said. I don't understand any of it, and I really want to. This whole thing just keeps getting bigger, and I don't know where it'll stop. He knew he should try to be more positive for the sake of the others, but he couldn't help but speak what was on his mind. I just don't want to see Kat get hurt. You know how she is. The first time I met her, Osborne said, she was all dirty and scraped up from catching one of our pigs that got loose. The pig was nearly as big as she was, but she carried him all the way across the field to bring him to us. Looked like she took a tumble or two on her way, too. She cried because she thought he was hurt. I met her at Master Jarvis's lessons, Strom said. She always looked sad and fragile after her mom died. His words were met with silence heavy with emotion. I know I've said this before, Osborne said without looking up, but I'm really sorry about your mom and Katrin's mom and Strom's dad. I wish they didn't die. Chase kicked the sand in front of him. He chastised himself for letting a tear gather in his eye. The pain should be forgotten, he thought. Those wounds long since healed. But they were not. When he noticed Strom struggling with pain of his own, 
It made him feel no better. Osborne shifted his weight from foot to foot in the uncomfortable silence. What do we do now? he asked, his voice betraying his own anxiety. Chase put a hand over his growling stomach. I think we should try to track down some food. Chapter 18 Of all the varied life forms on the planet Godsland, the pyre orchid is the most curious, only blooming in the wake of forest fires. Sister Munyon, Catherin Monk Katrin opened her eyes for a moment, adjusted the pillow beneath her head, and pulled soft blankets over her shoulders. The morning air was cool, and she closed her eyes to drift back to sleep when voices awakened her. When she became fully aware, she noticed her surroundings. She lay on a light, fluffy bed with similarly made pillow, which she guessed were both stuffed with down. A small tent made of sheer material shaded her. The breeze passed through the fabric, but bugs could not. It was artfully made and was doubtless the finest the Argast had to offer. Still dressed in the clothes she had lived in for days, she was in desperate need of a good bath. Pushing back the tent flap, she walked out into a bright glare that momentarily blinded her, and she heard the sudden murmur of many hushed voices. When her vision cleared, she found all of the Argast watching her intently. She was not sure what they expected, but their stares were intense and disconcerting. It took some time for her to decide what to say to the assembled crowd, and what came from her mouth was the plain truth. If I could trouble someone to help me, I'm quite hungry. Is there any food left from the morning meal? She asked almost timidly. The activity resulting from her request was astounding, and it seemed they all felt compelled to try to help. Some men scrambled to set up a small table. Others made a comfortable seat for her from several large cushions, and still others erected a makeshift sunshade made of the same material as her tent. She sat at the table and waited. People began to approach her with a lavish array of foods. Women were now part of the group, some in typical female clothing and others dressed like men. Katrin had seen no women the day before and was surprised to see them now. The crowd was nearly double the number she recalled. Men and women offered fruits, meats, breads, and one elderly man brought her more of the drinks she remembered Vertuk had given her. Katrin recognized him from his castigation of the tribal leaders, but he gave her a kindly smile. What is this drink? she asked. Desert mist, he responded with a wink. How to make is secret. Something only spoken private. We speak alone soon, yes? Yes, of course, and thank you. She paused to take a sip of the desert mist. What are you called, sir? she asked. Called Aged Goat by most, he said with a toothless grin. But true name is Mika. You call me Mika, yes? 
Indeed, Mika, I will, she responded warmly, and Mika retreated through the masses. Katrin had never been served in such a way, and she found it disquieting. It felt wrong to accept their generosity, to be selfish and indulgent, but it seemed just as wrong to refuse their gifts. Her hunger sated, she wanted a nap, but more than that she desperately wanted to get clean. As if someone were reading her mind, several women approached Katrin with soft towels and scented soaps. One motioned for her to follow and walked toward the towering fountain Katrin had created. She was delighted to see a pond forming outward from the fountain, and she hoped it would continue to grow. She envisioned a lush oasis nestled in the valley, full of life and vigor, a jewel in the desert. Two women unfolded a large, thick cloth which they held up for privacy. Katrin took soap that smelled of peppermint, then undressed and dipped her toes into the water. It was bitterly cold, and the frigid spray made her shiver, but she was thankful for the opportunity to get clean. The shallow water at the edge was not quite as cold, and she used it to wash herself. The soap created a rich, aromatic lather, and Katrin lavished in the fragrance as she washed off the grime of many days. When she emerged from the pool, the same woman who had led her to the pond brought her a soft towel. She dried herself and looked for her clothes, but they were not where she had left them. Another woman approached with clothes similar to Katrin's. She knew that it had taken them much thought and effort to find these for her, and she felt almost unworthy. She put on the borrowed clothes, and they were a fair fit. The shirt sleeves were a little long, but she rolled them up, insisting that was just the way she liked her sleeves. There was more food and drink when she returned from her bathing, and Benjamin and the boys were there too. In the flurry of the morning, she had not thought of them, and she was relieved to see they were fine, just dirty. The women offered the towels and soap to them, and they wasted no time in getting to the fountain. The leaders had congregated nearby, looking subdued and clearly waiting for her to speak first. With her hunger satiated and her friends attended to, Katrin turned her attention to them. Leaders of the Argas tribes, will you sit with me? she asked. Slowly, the men began to come forward and seat themselves on the ground around her. As Katrin lowered herself to the ground, several rushed to get her a cushion, but she declined with a smile. I've not come here to rule you, or to be worshipped by you. I'm a simple girl, not a goddess or a queen. I don't place myself above you. Speak freely and know your worth. There was confusion in the crowd, and Vertuk approached Katrin. He repeated what she said in his own words, and she nodded. With Vertuk translating, Katrin continued, trying to find simple words to express complex things. I praise your leaders for their devotion to truth, for they did not blindly accept my claims or the words of Nat Derzinger. They chose to make me prove myself, just as I would have done. 
I've now proven my power to you, and we need to reach an understanding. We need to put aside any mistakes we've made and forgive others for hurting us, she said, pausing. Murmurs passed through the crowd as Vertuk translated. When she addressed them again, she spoke louder. Will the tribes of Argast protect the Herald of Istra? she asked. The people raised their voices in a high, ululating cry and shook their fists above their heads before Vertuk even spoke. Katrin raised her hands to them, requesting silence. She spoke again. Tribes of Argast, embrace your duty and take pride in what you have already done. You answered the call of the herald, and your valor will not be forgotten. You have pledged yourselves to the herald, and she calls you to battle. How do you answer? Their cries echoed off the mountains and reverberated along the peaks. The Godfist is under attack, she continued. Invaders have come to destroy us. The Godfist needs a defender, and the Herald of Istra calls on the tribes of Argast because they are strong. They are fierce, and they will prevail, she said, the words spilling forth from her heart. Vertuk translated her words with as much emotion as she had expressed, and then he started the crowd shouting, Katrin, in unison. The chanting grew louder and louder. She raised her arms and the crowd hushed. I thank you for your bravery and honor. Take pride in yourselves and your mighty nation. I will meet with your leaders and we will make our plans. Many blessings to you all. As the crowd dispersed, Katrin returned to her seat. You, very gracious, Lady Katrin. Vertuk said. We honor and support you. We have many gifts to give upon you, and we have sorrow for doubting of you. Vertuk said, then took a deep breath. He continued hesitantly. I've been asked to speak for all, Argast. Others not understand your talk as much. Please speak how you feel, Vertuk, and so will I, she said, smiling. Turning to the men closest to her, she said, Please, tell me your names and the names of your people. The leaders smiled and nodded, and each introduced himself. Harat introduced himself as the chief of the Viper Clan. Katrin cast a confused glance at Vertuk who had previously claimed to be chief of the Viper Clan, but he said nothing. Halmza was chief of the Wind Clan, Ervil of the Sun Clan, Maluk of the Horse Clan, Spenwar of the Scorpion Clan, and Cheslo of the Cactus Clan. I am honored to know the names of the revered leaders of the Argast. As you have received me, I pledge to protect you with all my strength. But now I have to ask for your help. I must leave the Godfist on a boat, and the enemy soldiers will try to stop me. She knew she could be risking the entire Argast nation by involving them in the war, but she did not know what to do but follow her instincts and hope they were right. 
I need some time with my guardians, she said, and as Vertuk started to stand, she asked, Vertuk, would you please stay here and plan our escape? We can meet again later. Vertuk is glad to do that, was his reply, and he turned to the group and began to talk with the leaders. Greetings, Lady Katrin, Nat said as he walked toward her. He wore clean clothes, and his hair was not as wild as usual. Hello, Nat, and please call me Katrin, like you always have. As you wish, Katrin. I'm sorry I couldn't deliver this dire news sooner, but it was impossible with what's been going on, he said. I'm afraid that by some deception your destination is known to the Jean. I don't know how they found out, but we'll need to be extra careful about who we talk to about our plans. How did you come to know the Jean knew where I was going? It wasn't just one thing, you see. Much of the Jean fleet left the harbor, sailing east toward the cove, but ships were also reported off the northern coast. Before I escaped Harberton, Miss Maris got news the cove had been raided and one of the pirate ships captured. It was enough. The news came from the ship that escaped, and those on board suggested a new place to meet you. We need to get you there as soon as possible. Every day they remain in hiding is risky. It seemed like a thin hope to Katrin, surrounded by the Jean, and she felt trapped. Before I leave, there is a most unpleasant task I am obligated to perform, he said, and took an object from within his robe unlike anything Katrin had ever seen before. An ivory tube, it was almost as long as her forearm and decorated with fanciful carvings that were enhanced with gold and gemstones. The ends were topped with gold caps in the shape of a man and woman embracing the symbol of the Jean Empire. Katrin reached out slowly, unsure she wanted to accept it. This is the other reason I think we've been betrayed. This contains a message and was delivered to Miss Maris through the channels of the Vestrana. Somehow, the Jean have infiltrated the Vestrana, and we have no idea whom to trust. I'll leave you so you can read the message, but we must speak again soon. There are many things we should discuss, he said as he walked away. Katrin felt a new burden on her shoulders. She feared what was written inside, afraid the words might find some way to hurt her and those around her. She walked to where Benjamin stood. He looked refreshed after his bath and was pulling his hair into a braid as she approached. A storm's coming, he said, rubbing his shoulder. But when he saw the look on Katrin's face, he waited for the bad news. She handed him the tube and told him how it had been delivered. Benjamin was stunned and hesitated to take it, perhaps for the same reasons Katrin was loath to hold it, both fearing what it might contain. Please, read it for me. I don't have the courage. Perhaps that would be wise, he said. They could have rigged it with a trap. He carefully removed the golden cap. It fell away, 
and nothing leaped from the tube. He pulled the rolled parchment from the tube, placed it on the ground, and examined it closely before picking it up. He unrolled it and read aloud, Salutations to the Herald of Istra, from His Eminence, Archmaster Emson Kelsig Belegra, Spiritual Leader and Chief Evangelist of the Holy Church of Jean. The Jean Nation has extended its warmest greetings, and you have evaded my emissaries and ignored our request for talks of peace. You must not care that lives will be lost. I do not know why you wish ill toward the Dijon nation, but we only seek your salvation. Our request for talks of peace still stands, despite your refusals. If you present yourself to any of my emissaries, they will bring you directly to me, unharmed. Your companions are also welcome. If you persist in your attempted flight from the Godfist, we will interpret it as a hostile action against the Jean nation. For your own sake, do not seek to flee or to invade the Greatland. My emissaries will remain on the Godfist until you have presented yourself to me personally. This matter must be settled between you and me. It would be a pity if your countrymen and mine suffered needlessly as a result of your selfishness. I beg you to put away your ego and do what you know is right. I trust you will choose your path wisely. Most gracious regards, Archmaster Belegra, humble servant of the gods. I don't know which part is the most offensive, Catrin began. I've never heard so many thinly veiled threats and insults. Why would they wish to provoke me in such a way? What does he mean I've refused their offers for talks of peace? No one has made any such offer. He makes it sound as if their invasion is my fault. Please stay calm, little miss. They wrote those things to provoke you, hoping you would do something hasty or foolish. It's a common tactic in warfare. Taunt your opponent and instill doubt and fear in him whenever possible. There's not much in that letter we didn't already know. Try not to fret over it. But she could not put the message out of her mind. I'm going to take some time to meditate. Perhaps I'll find some inspiration, she said as she went into her tent. Her own clothes were by her bed, cleaned and folded. The solitude of the tent and the feeling of changing back into her old clothes comforted her as if they helped her hold on to that which was Katrin. Her thoughts were scattered, and she tried to focus and meditate on each one. She pondered the Archmaster's words and Benjen's reaction to them, but she thought there had to be some undercurrent she was not seeing. She found no answers. The sound of many people shouting yanked her from her thoughts. Shadows ran past her tent, and the commotion continued to grow louder. Benjen reached her as she was emerging from her tent. What's going on? She yelled above the noise. I don't know. When I heard all the commotion, I came here to make sure you were safe. Let's find Vertuk. They scanned the sea of confusion for Vertuk, but it was difficult to identify anyone in the morass, and it took a while to locate him. 
Benjen spotted him wading through the mob and heading for Katrin. He shouted and waved his arms, but they could not hear his words, and they waited anxiously for him to get clear of the throng. He rushed toward them, and the chaos he left behind seemed to take on purpose as horses were saddled. That meant the Argast were preparing to ride, and Katrin's anxiety was intense when she heard Vertuk's words. Many soldiers coming from all around us. That concludes this episode of Call of the Herald. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening.